Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 315, and today's guest is Jordan Flegel, Managing Director of Techstars New York City and Sports Accelerators. Athlete, entrepreneur, investor, mentor are just some of the words to describe Jordan's career. Originally a fixture of the Boston tech scene with his first company, Coach Up, and now a major part of the New York City tech scene as the leader of the Techstars program, it is shocking that Jordan hasn't been a guest on the Venture Fizz podcast since that is the two markets that we are focused on. Well, the wait is finally over and it was worth the wait. If you're not familiar with Techstars, it is the world's most active pre-seed investor and one of the top accelerators in the world. Since 2006, Techstars has worked with over 9,000 founders from companies like DigitalOcean, Zipline, DataRobot, and more that have gone on to raise over $26 billion in funding. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the similarities between coaching athletes and mentoring entrepreneurs, Jordan's background story, and his experience playing professional basketball in Israel, the inspiration behind CoachUp, a venture-backed marketplace that connects athletes with personal coaches, and how he landed Steph Curry as an investor, working closely with his childhood friend Jeremy Levine on Draft, a fantasy sports company which was acquired by Patty Power Betfair, launching the Techstars Sports Accelerator in Indianapolis, and portfolio company examples, plus the details on the New York City program, the inside look at how companies are selected for Techstars, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that you can set up a user profile on VentureFizz? It is a feature that gives you access to personalized content, job seeker tools, and administrative features to manage your email subscriptions. To create a user profile and maximize your experience on VentureFizz, go to VentureFizz.com register to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Jordan. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Jordan, we go way back from your early days of coach up, which we're going to talk about. And I, it just dawned on me that I'm like, how is it possible that Jordan was never on the Venture Viz podcast since we go so far back? And when I was preparing for this interview, I'm like, I kind of know his story really well. So it didn't take me long as far as putting the outline together. Um, so I'm excited to chat with you and talk about the whole history of companies you built, obviously what you're up to now. But uh, to kick things off, I thought it'd be fun to talk about a combination of, you know, when I think of you, I think of like, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're an athlete, you're an investor. So you, you've done a lot, but a common theme for a lot of those things is coaching, right? So how would you compare coaching athletes to mentoring or coaching entrepreneurs? Yeah, sure. And again, thanks so much for having me, Keith. And it's great to, great to reconnect. Appreciate all that you do in the venture and entrepreneurial ecosystem so um glad to be on the podcast man this is cool um yeah that kind of i, I guess i like to think of myself as a as a coach hopefully in a, a positive way for for our founders that i work with um, i think there's a lot of similarities in general between sports and entrepreneurship and um you know it's something i look for in founders that we back hopefully they've been athletes and been on a team at some level know what it's like to compete, know what it's like to be the star player sometimes and the bench player sometimes and, you know, to take care of yourself and kind of put forth effort every day into getting better and to be able to kind of roll with the ups and downs and all those sort of values that sports teaches. If not sports, military or some other sort of team activity, I think is really important because ultimately startups are small groups of teams, um, small groups of, you know, people trying to trying to do something really important and like teamwork really matters. Um, I think the the coaching 
part I actually wrote a book on it, not to do a plug already as we're just kicking off here, but uh, it's called <laughs> literally about, um, you know, what business people can learn from how the best coaches work with and motivate athletes. It's core to my experience being a athlete who played basketball in college and professionally and then coached kids uh, for a long time. So it's why I started the first business coach up. It's a passion for that. But yeah, a lot of similarities. I think the most important part is about trying to build authentic relationships with people before you start telling them what to do. Um, and so that can be done. There's lots of different ways to sort of try to create an environment for that. Um, you know, in both sports and, you know, we do it now with our accelerators. You know, we, the first thing we do is an offsite retreat. We take them all in the middle of nowhere, like the Hudson Valley or one we do in Indiana, we go to an organic farm in the middle of nowhere and, you know, unplug, we bring an executive leadership coach to work with them. And we try to really get to know each other and kind of go deep on who we are and, um, build those relationships and have moments or step back and see each other as people first you set that foundation, a lot of good stuff can come from that. And that, you know, so there's examples like that that are kind of noteworthy, but also can be done in just little ways, just before you dive into something, taking a moment to ask someone, how was your weekend? How was your Thanksgiving? Like, you know, um, to then, and after that, I think it's important to support. So the second part is about supporting them. So if, once you have connect, you've built a relationship, we do this naturally the supporting part but hey keith how's your weekend how's your thanksgiving great blah blah and then um the supporting part hey by the way great job on that podcast last week i listened to it it was amazing like right and and now then after that if you have something like oh by the way do you think you could work on that thing or hey by the way i think you could improve this thing you know you in that situation just as an example you would hopefully be more open to receiving that kind of feedback because we have an authentic relationship that's been reinforced because i've complimented, supported you, and hopefully a way that doesn't feel phony, but, you know, it's actually, you know, something I believe did do a good job on something. I say it. Um, and then if you compound that over time, uh, I think you see with the best coaches and athletes, like that's an example of like, I don't know, Greg Popovich, I love basketball, so Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan, you know, because they have an authentic relationship and, you know, Pop is great about taking his guys out to dinner and they drink wine together and they travel, you know, they, he makes time for that and prioritizes that. So in the heat of a moment, he can just look at, give Tim Duncan a look, or he can just pull him aside and say, hey, like you're mess, like, messing up, do this, do that. He doesn't need to in that moment connect again and support again. He can go right to the thing that he needs to say in the heat of the moment, and it comes through, and Tim Duncan's able to receive it because he knows that Pop cares about him. Pop believes in him, supports him, and he's ready for that coaching and feedback. So anyway, I think about, that's what the book is about, but I think about that when I work with founders and when I get into some issue where I feel like this founder is struggling with what I'm saying to them, whether or not they agree with it, I then go back to maybe I didn't do a good enough job connecting or supporting. Maybe, maybe we need to go for a walk to reestablish the relationship, buy them a coffee, talk about something other than the thing, and then come back to it next week. And then they're more ready to receive it. So it's just kind of a framework that I like to use. And I think the best coaches, whether they do it intuitively or, or not, like they, they usually have, they usually leverage some form of connecting, supporting, and and directing in that order, in that priority, um, in their work. Yeah, that's great, great, great advice. Because uh, that's definitely something that founders need to be thinking about as far as building their team and hopefully yeah. having that support to the team. Because it's so not always going to be a an easy walk in the park. So they got to sometimes have hard conversations, and hopefully, if they have that support built in, that it's something that's received. All right, let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? 
I grew up in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, I'll tell, I say Boston, you know, for people who aren't from there, but I know you, you being a Massachusetts guy, you know, proud Cambridge boy. Uh, it's its own city across the river. Um, I went to public high school in Cambridge, Cambridge Latin High School. So Patrick Ewing went there, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck went there. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a big public high school, very diverse, it was a, an interesting place to grow up. Um, passion for basketball in Cambridge, great basketball tradition. So I kind of I inherited that and then um yeah I, I, from cambridge went to bowden college maine for college small school in maine and then uh from there over to israel to play basketball and when i was playing basketball over there i got my mba at the same time at Aviv university um and maybe taking your question a few steps further but uh, yeah that that's where i kind of caught the bug for startups and uh and, and investing was at Tel Aviv University, Israel is a very entrepreneurial place, and everyone had an idea for a startup and wanted to do something. And so I, I brought that back when I came back to Boston. Um, I had that that itch um, that I kind of actually got from Israel. So what did, what did you learn from playing professional basketball? Oh, wow. I mean, so, I you know, Bowdoin is like Division three basketball. It's good basketball, but it's like I went there for, for NESCAC. NESCAC is great. NESCAC is competitive. NESCAC, yeah. It's competitive. It's competitive as a government of philosophy major, history minor. You know, I went there for school and for food. We actually had the best food in the country. That was the selling thing for me. Number one rank. I think it's now number two to like the Denver Culinary School or something. But And one of yeah. the top tech entrepreneurs of all time as an alum. Reed. Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings. Yes. Netflix founder. Yeah. Like, I love that stat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, I've since gotten involved with Bowdoin and try to hire a bunch of Bowdoin's to give internships to Bowdoin students and um, try to encourage entrepreneurship. And, uh, but, you know, it's liberal arts. So I think most students don't go there for that. But uh, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, playing professional basketball was really cool. It was a dream of mine as a kid to be able to play. And I'd kind of given up on it when I stopped growing and thought I wasn't athletic enough or big enough to you know play in the NBA. And then um, I'm, I'm Jewish and being Jewish, I was able to actually become an Israeli citizen and as as such uh they have these rules where you have to have a certain number you have to have like two israelis on the court at the time i think it's still the same in the first division and so as an israeli it was more valuable to the team than it would be as an american so i was able to actually play on this team hopwell jerusalem is one of the two best teams in the country and we had six ex-nba players and four israeli national team players and i was on that team i barely ever played but it was a really fun locker room to be in and great i got so much better just from practice with those guys and i went from being one of the stars and the captain of my college basketball team to being absolutely buried on the bench and you know just used as sort of can fodder and practice to you know try to try to play defense against our, our star players and so um I, I think kind of going back to the earlier thing about what sports teaches you that that's a very valuable lesson like how do you find a role how do you as the coach take a player who is used to being a star player or whatever and 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 help them understand that their role still does matter and it's, it's worth doing and doing well. And, you know, it's, I, you know, back within six months, I went from being playing all the time to, you know, not playing at all. And, and, and uh, I think, you know, you bring that into a startup environment as well, I think. All right. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you are the founder of coach up. So what was the inspiration behind the company? Yeah, I think every um, company starts hopefully with a simple idea, usually from a, personal experience that the founders had, especially first or second time founders, um, you know, that they've experienced personally, either in a consumer perspective or or in something they've experienced in their working career. And that tends to be like a B2B company that they built. 
Um, but for me with Coach Up, I had this coach, Greg Kristoff, who remains a great friend of mine. He played basketball at Brandeis. And when I was in high school, I was tall, but awkward and not very good. And like I was on the freshman team as a freshman in high school. And um, he worked with me one on one. He's like camp. I met him at summer camp and he became my private coach. He was doing this sort of on the side while he was playing basketball at Brandeis. And he worked with me. I got so much better. I not only made varsity as a sophomore, I became starter on a really good, you know, defending state championship team. Kept getting better every year. I was able to go to college, kept getting better every year at college. I kept working every summer my game, working, working, working my game one, with one-on-one coaching. And it's something that at the time now it's sort of popular. This like sports trainers become celebrities and now right with huge Instagram followings. And it wasn't that way when I was in high school and, and college and even out. And you know, I was telling some of my teammates um, that I played with in college and played with professionally, like, hey guys, you know, you're in the gym all the time anyway. Why don't why don't you start coaching? You know, I was telling them that I had started to coach and was, you know, making decent money for it. I was in the gym training anyway. So even if I did a couple of clients, I was like, it's fine. Um, and they were saying things like, well, it's kind of hard, right? Like, how do you get clients? You got to create a website and market your service. And like, like, what about insurance and like payment processing and like keep track of it. And like, it seems like a headache. Kind of light bulb went off for me. Like there should be an easier way. So Again, personal experience on both sides. I've been an athlete and been a coach and just realized there's 40 million kids across the United States that play competitive sports and they all need to get better. Um, and you have millions of former college and pro players on the other side that would love to be coach coaches. They feel they want to stay involved with the game. They have this great skill that they learned that's sort of lost yeah, when they stop playing. Not all of them want to become full-time coaches, but they love to do it sort of nights and weekends on the side if nothing else, motivate, work with a kid, mentor them, make some good side money. You know, they have different motivations. It's just too hard for like parents and kids, find the coach, book, pay, schedule, you know, mobile. You probably need a mobile app because the mobile sessions on fields, courts, and gyms across the country. And so it's like, this is crazy. Like there could be a better way to take all these coaches, all these athletes, all these empty fields, courts, and gyms and combine it together in a really positive thing while creating thousands of part-time jobs for former athletes like that should exist it didn't exist i was like i'd be a customer my friends would be like and so i was like oh, i'll just do it so that was the i knew absolutely nothing keith when i got started like i very little about what i was doing but i was just like this is a thing that should exist and i had personal experience on both sides of the marketplace so i sort of felt like i understood both sides a little bit and that was the, the you know the initial idea well, getting started, you participated in Accelerator, so Mass Challenge and Techstars Boston, which is, I think, how we met originally. Uh, and then you went yeah. on to raise, you went on to raise capital from General Catalyst, Point Judith, Breakaway. But on top of that, it's hard to, so it's hard to raise capital from those, you know, blue chip VC firms. But on top of that, you had one of the top basketball professional athletes out there investing in your company, that being Steph Curry. So. Uh, how did you go and, and land Steph Curry as an investor and, a, and part of the leadership team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Steph became kind of the face of the company and um, just kind of answer directly on that. I, I felt like it was important for us in creating a new category. You know, people knew about music lessons, they knew about academic tutoring, but they didn't really know about sports training. Now it's a more known thing. And this is how you actually get better. There's all these ads about you know i don't know watch a video or like put on some sh special shoes that help you jump higher like stuff but like 
sports, all the best players in the world, they all have private coaches like what they do to get better. And uh, it just wasn't accessible or known to the kids that need it most across the country. So that's what we were trying to do. And so I thought it'd be really great to get someone who has an authentic private coaching connection and story. Steph's coaches were on our platform, coaching kids on the platform. And so it, you know, and he's not for sure the only great athlete that has had private coaching to get better. Like almost all of them do have private coaches, but um, I, I just thought his coaches are on the platform. He's training with them. This is very authentic. He credits private coaching with how he got to be a great player, despite the fact his dad was in the NBA and a great shooter. And he's of course very talented and worked extremely hard and like all this stuff, but he's someone that really bought in and wanted to get coached and worked on his game. And he's not, Shaq, he's not like this huge guy that you have to be seven feet tall and jump out of the gym, or LeBron James, the 40 inch vert that like you and I have no hope of ever. We could never be Steph Curry, even if we worked all the time. He's just, he's incredible in so many ways. But like, he's not that big. He's not that athletic. And he worked really hard on his game. So I think the idea is he would be someone to be really good, sort of face the company to tell an authentic story about how he got to be the best shooter of all time by working one on one with his coach and also a great ball handler and passer and all these other things. Um, and, and then as far as actually executing it, it was, you know, trying to get in touch with him. Um, uh, David Pace, become a great friend, who's general counsel for Reebok and advisor for our company and helped us a lot of stuff. He has um, great relationships. He did Tom Brady's deal with Uggs and he had a great relationship with Phil the Picciatos, the founder of Octagon. And he connected me. I went down to DC to meet with Phil and it was less even about Steph. I just want, you know, wanted to tell our story about coach up and, and, um, you know, Phil had built a really powerful agency with Octagon and, and about, you know, how authentic I wanted the business to be. And, and I thought Steph, given his coaches were on the platform, he believed in it so much, might be interested in what we're doing. And, and, you know, it kind of fell naturally from there and got connected with Steph and, and, you know, um, you know, he's something he really believed in and he wants to be, he was already he was already doing it so he just wanted to be part of it he wanted to help kids get find a great coach for them and i think it really aligned with his like personal beliefs and mission and I definitely won't put words in his mouth but um i think that it was a really natural fit and uh so that that was on that side yeah uh, and he's been a great great partner for us we've had some other you know celebrity athletes that have authentic coaches like julian edelman from patriots and is an you know ambassador for us and um cam neely from the bruins you know president of Austin Bruins was a great place and investor and coach up. And yeah, I think it's, it's a very positive business coaches, kids training that speaks to a lot of athletes on a personal level and to parents on a personal level. And so, um, you know, some of those relationships kind of, I think were easier to do for that business versus maybe, I don't know, another a FinTech company or something. Well, it was, the, you know, this time frame was the 20, 2011, 2012-ish or around that time frame. And it wasn't common for to have athletes, musicians, celebrities as investors on the cap table. So it was a very unique story. I remember that at that point in time for Boston being like, what? Steph Curry is an investor in this Boston company. That's amazing. But, you know, I think for, I don't know Steph Curry, but from what I've read, he has been a very active investor. You know, he's in the mecca of startups. So it's very wise of him to be involved in another side outside of playing basketball. Yeah, you know, we, we've actually invested in other startups together. Um, his best friend from college and who works closely with him, Brian Barr, um, and, and I are in close touch a lot on like sharing deals and stuff like that. Else, is that, is that Penny there. Penny Jar Capital? Is that the Penny Jar? Yeah, it's now Penny Jar. They, yeah, exactly. They formulated it, but you know, before that, we sort of just 
best on his own. But that, uh, yeah, you know, I love to send them deals. I think Stefan's one of the few people, you know, you put LeBron James, Kevin Durant, uh, Andre Iguodala, like there, there's a, there's a group. Um, it's not everyone, but certainly also and beyond, yes, Serena Williams comes to mind that are, you know, athletes that are serious about investing and, um, Kamala Anthony has a fund, Dwayne Wade invest, but, uh, anyway, it's not like every, everyone, but, um, yeah, they, that, that they're focused on it, that they understand that they can leverage their influence. They can leverage their network to get into really good deals and that they can help the companies in various ways too. And so, um, I, I it's, it's something that I'm personally really excited about. I spent a lot of time actually talking to like celebrities on, um, how they should authentically get involved or what might make sense for them or, um, how they can approach funds or startups about, you know, getting access and, um it's it's something that's much more top of mind it's certainly when 2012 when we started there's there's a few examples and you know then you had like jessica alba with honest company and um you had a but it's more like um sort of people putting their like robert shapiro with legal zoom putting his face on a thing or something like uh, less actively uh co-founding or investing in companies and now it's of course much more common and uh well known but still a lot of room to optimize there i think a lot of probably celebrities are missing out on a lot of opportunity all right. So, what did you do after Coach F? Uh, my buddy, my best friend from uh, growing up, Jeremy Levine, played little league baseball together in Cambridge. Um, he had a company called Star Street, which then changed his name to Draft. It was in New York City, and uh, he had pivoted the business twice. And was running low on cash, and we were nerding out. We loved playing sort of drafting teams on Madden playing simulating seasons and playing video games and sports cards and drafting teams we, we wanted to be GM of the Celtics that was like our dream right um and so we like to like play that either through video games or cards or whatever and then fantasy sports you know as that industry sort of emerged became another way you could sort of right, play GM right and uh long story short we had an idea for a game that we thought would be successful and we wanted to pivot draft into that and I joined him as co-CEO, left Coach Up, I still chair the board, but left full-time to join Jeremy as co-CEO. And we pivoted the game, raised the million bucks, launched it, and I quickly hit some really nice um, product market fit. Went to go raise this $10 million Series A round. And at the same time, ran a parallel process for talking to uh, you know potential strategic acquirers for the company. Just wanted to check in before we raised the next round of capital. And... Um, you know, ended up selling the company instead of raising the Series A uh, to Patty Power Betfair, which has since rebranded as Flutter. It's the largest online sports betting company in the world. It was then, and it still is now. We introduced FanDuel back to the group, and the group, after we sold Draft to Patty Power Betfair, we then bought our larger competitor, FanDuel. We were third in the market after FanDuel and DraftKings in the daily fantasy sports category. Bought FanDuel, merged all those assets together. I had an earnout. And I left in 2019 uh, and launched the Texas Sports Accelerator. So I, I uh, it was a great, it was a great ride. It was really fun to do it with my best friend Jeremy and uh, to do a startup together. And you know, we were 10 people working out of an apartment in New York City and sleeping in the apartment. It was just like stressful and not, not obvious it would work. But we had conviction in the idea. We had a really great team, and. Uh, it's, it's what fun. was the I'm product because like, this wasn't like the origination of daily fantasy sports you did have the fan duels the draft kings and probably a bunch of others yeah. what what was unique about draft that separated it where you yeah. started to get that traction 
Yeah, uh, you know, Nigel is a friend, is the founder of FanDuel. You know, he he really invented the category. He was the first to launch with with FanDuel, and then and then I think actually Jeremy with Star Street came next, then DraftKings launched. Uh, but they were around the same time. Um, yeah, so you know, you have season long fantasy, right? So stepping up a second, so you have season long fantasy, which like people might be familiar with, like uh, ESPN or Yahoo, where you draft the team with your friends, often around a table or virtually, and you maybe put a little bit of money in or not, and you. You know, the winner is decided at the end of the season. And then, then from there, the FanDuel and DraftKings version is sort of weekly tournaments. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to brushing through this. So I'll, I'll avoid the details, but weekly competitions uh, in which you have entry fees, you enter to win a contest, and the winner, or maybe there's multiple winners with tiered payouts that um, most people lose, but some people that win, win big for that week. The idea we had, again, what every business I think needs to have a simple, idea like coach up like there's so many kids that need coaching there's so many former players who want to be a coach why isn't there a better way to connect coaches and kids like it's a very positive thing that should exist in the world doesn't was created draft the simple idea was the most fun part we believe of fantasy sports is the draft like when you i don't know if keith you do you play fantasy at all you're yeah yeah yeah, no, it's, yeah like i mean you hitting before the digital era of the internet my sister used to actually break down the scores from the draft i mean uh the season yeah. would go and then you have to manually pull the scores from the newspaper so yes i've been yeah. playing for a long time <laughs> we yeah we we kind of feel like the part you do with your friends when you draft your team is, is the most fun and then and then like maintaining your lineup and putting people in and out and making sure like if monitoring for injuries and you know, even like doing trades and stuff like there's a lot of work involved afterwards. Draft's the most fun part. So our simple idea was if the draft is the most, let's rethink this from first principles. And if the most fun part of fan playing fantasy sports is the draft, okay, then why not enable people to do a draft every day, every hour? Let's have let's we call the business draft. We bought the URL draft.com, like draft. Let's just draft all the time. But not once a year, not once a week, all the time. Let's make this a social experience. You know, you miss your buddies from when you grew up or from college or whatever. You're all doing different things at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. You can do a draft with them or with strangers. Different formats for drafting with your friends, with random people. Draft all the time. Draft, 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 draft. And let's have multiple different ways to do drafts. And that was the, like, that was the idea. And of course, there's a lot of work on executing it, but that was the core idea. And that Different. So we had we ended up launching different games from what FanDuel and DraftKings had that were more focused on quick snake drafts. Like I take a pick and you take a pick and so and so takes a pick and then it snakes back. And it's fun and and more social and you had a better chance of winning because um, it wasn't like massive entries where everyone's competing for one or two prizes and what we call the sharks in the industry would win the lion's share of the money that were more like kind of hedge fund or Excel junkie type guys almost those guys um versus just sports fans that want to have some fun with their friends and put a little money down so we, we thought it could be a more social um less sharky environment and more fun so that was it and this is before legalized gambling all happened yeah exactly um you know jeremy has since gone on to um launch a new fancy business much like draft but in a new name and with like one new game um it's called underdog it's doing really well there's another company called Prize Picks now um, that has a sort of parlay game that you know we didn't have a draft, but Underdog and Prize Picks do now. They're both under the daily fantasy sports category, 
Um, FanDuel and DraftKings, of course, are now both fantasy and they're also sports betting. Um, but yeah, as a DFS operator, so at the time, you know, sports betting was legal in Nevada, but nowhere else. Um, and so we were under the DFS uh, legislation. And so we operated in about 40 states. There was 10 states that, you know, had negative AG opinions or something on them, you know, on daily and said, you know, don't operate here. So we never did. But the states that passed, you know, it was interesting operating a regulated framework, like it's state by state and it's, you know, it's complex and um, you're trying to build on top of the regulations and um, also build a profitable company, also make sure that people aren't spending too much or losing too much. Like there's all these considerations that are just make it a much more complex environment to operate in than your typical company. All right. So how'd you end up running Techstars Sports Accelerator? Like, so you obviously participated in the accelerator with CoachUp, but how did you end up leading? Because it's the sports accelerator is based out of Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like Keith, like at least in my life, everything has built on the thing that came before. I think, yeah, Steve Jobs gave a famous uh, speech at Stanford about like, you can't really see the future going forward. You can only sort of connect the dots looking back, but kind of follow your nose and do things you're interested in and work with people you you love and all of that. Um, so I knew nothing when I started Coach Up. I had an MBA and I did basketball a little bit. That was about it. So I was really grateful that Techstars Boston and Katie Ray, who's the managing director of that program, took a chance on me. And, you know, Mass Challenging before that and Mass Challenge and Techstars helped me land General Catalyst as an investor and be able to hire the team and make progress and, and all of that. So I was grateful to Techstars. So, you know, they asked me to be a mentor afterwards. And so I was like mentored. Um, I, I raised, a little, maybe we'll get into it. I raised a little venture fund um, with, with my partner, Jeremy. And we were sort of investing in early stage companies that we saw coming through Boston for the most part. And um, so I've been doing a little investing, a little advising, a lot of mentoring, you know, on the side while building Coach Up and Draft. And um, and between Coach Up's you know, sports company, youth sports, and Draft Daily Fantasy Sports Company, also sort of under the sports umbrella as far as a category. And Techstars was interested in launching a sports accelerator. We had one for music, we had one for fintech and for blockchain and different things, but not for sports. And so I think there was a feeling that I was kind of like, the sports guy at Techstars who played basketball and then like did two sports startups and loves mentoring and loves Techstars. And they're like, Hey dude, like, what do you think about a sports accelerator? And I was like, yeah, great. Let's do it. I had no intention of running it. Uh, uh, we thought maybe we'd do it in New York or LA where who should, you know, we we're going to raise money for it. Um, this group in Indianapolis came um, along with other sort of bids from other groups in other cities. Um, it was a really great consortium of, of investors, the Indiana Pacers, Pacers Sports Entertainment, um, the NCAA, which is actually headquartered there. Um, this Actually, the state, through its venture arm, the Next Level Fund, the state of Indiana invested, and um, it's a big initiative under Governor Holcomb. Then we had the Annapolis Colts. We had Annapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar, you know, Indy 500. Um, and uh, Indiana Sports Corp, too, which is a group that's, like, responsible for bringing uh, all things like M NBA All-Star is there in February and the Big Ten Championship, NCAA Final Four, like all this stuff is in India and Indiana Sports Corp is the group that's sort of responsible for that. USA Gymnastics is headquartered there. USA Football is headquartered there. Indiana, not to go on too much about this, but it's like a huge sports state. Um, it's the home of basketball, it's the home of racing, it's the home of sports tourism, it's the home of youth sports, it's the home of collegiate sports, like sports, sports, sports. And so I think from the group's perspective, they're like, how do we lean into our DNA as a sports place? to be the home of sports tech as well. 
and how do we collectively pull our efforts, resources, capital to make that happen? I thought that was pretty cool. I had spent no, I've been in Chicago. I remember freezing there for like one day once. I'd never been in the Midwest. I know. You know, from Boston, New York, fly to California, get money, fly back to the East Coast. And like, that was been my life. So it was kind of cool spend some time in the Midwest. And, and, and I love sports. And I love tech and, you know, try to be a part of this. So uh, when Techstars folks asked if I actually wanted to run it and not just help sort of start it, I was like, yeah, like, that's actually interesting. So, um, yeah, my, my other plan, Keith, I was going to go to Asia with Jeremy. We we're going to get bored. We had one way flights to Tahiti. And, yeah. uh, and I come up with our next startup. Like that was the plan. And I ended up not doing that. <laughs> yeah, that launching our dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is hysterical. Um, all right. So so what's what were some of the portfolio? I mean, you're still running the uh sports accelerator, so it's still happening, but what have been some of the uh portfolio companies or some of the companies that have gone through the accelerator? Yeah, so uh for the sports ones, so five, we have 57 companies have gone through um 44 that are still in business and kicking and then the new york one we did 14 last year another um 12 this year so it's 26 now through new york um sports probably some of the more like well-known ones maybe ergata which came to the initial 2019 class they've raised around 40 million dollars um it's like uh you know a fitness a gaming fitness company that they have a rower so like a water rower i don't know if you've ever seen this they compete with hydro um, but it's gamified fitness. So instead of instructor yelling at you like row, 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 it's gamified. I could be racing against you um, virtually, right? Against my friends or against other people on leaderboards. And um, so it's really, it's a cool one. We've done very well with it. We kind of went deep under that category. So we've come to like Flexia that makes an at-home uh, Pilates reformer with a monthly subscription for content. It's raised like 4 million in seed funding. Um, and we've, like sort of looking at all the different sports, we have a company called Tennybot in tennis that makes an, uh, a robot that zooms around and picks up your tennis balls and brings them to a shooter and shoots it back across the net to you and tracks all your makes and misses and where you know where you uh, landed and and all that, like enables you to basically practice tennis by yourself or if you're doing a lesson, you know, or playing with someone else, like focus on playing or focus on lesson and not scooping up balls and tracking everything. It's it's super. It's it's definitely the greatest innovation that ever happened to tennis. Um, that sounds really cool. <laughs> really cool. Out of Auburn, Alabama. Love the founders too. But they've also raised seed funding. Um, companies doing really well. And again, we have so many, so I can't take it through all 44, but um, Player sure. Data, $5 million round out of um, Edinburgh, Scotland. And they compete with Stats and Catapult and are just like clobbering up market share and growing really fast, going into a, a Series A probably uh, early next year. Um, and, 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 and many more. So is, you know, we look at sports, media, entertainment, fitness, sort of broadly defined. Um, we try not to have more than two companies in a particular class doing something similar, usually just one company in the class. Um, and, uh, it's a great, it, it's cool to see over five years because we have the, the alumni that are referring new founders to us and helping new founders and making introductions to them, sort of giving back and paying it forward. And that's been one of the most like gratifying parts of it. Okay. So, uh, you know, having known some of the managing directors of the different Boston textiles programs, I've, you know, grown a, an immense appreciation for how much hard work they put into getting that class of companies. And because I just thought, okay, applications are open and you kick back and you just wait and you interview and you select. No, like you mentioned Katie Ray, 
you know, she was out there recruiting the best entrepreneurs, the best companies, the best ideas to be part of that program. So I, when I learned that, I was like, whoa, okay. I, I just thought it was like, you sit and wait, <laughs> but it's yeah. not, it's a, you're out there recruiting. Uh, so on top of doing what is a hard job for the sports accelerator, you're also running the New York City <laughs> Accelerator. So uh, how do you pull that off and, and, and talk about the New York City Accelerator? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and Katie was great. Samia, that also, Samia Zikai, that also ran Boston. And they both, you know, Katie runs the MIT, uh, the Engine Fund there, of course, as you know, and then Samia runs One Way Ventures. So they've all left to run, um, you know, successful venture funds. Uh, Jenny Fielding was a longtime managing director for Texas, New York, now runs uh, every Everywhere Ventures. And before that, yeah, Alex Siskel who runs 2048 now, and David Tisch, who runs Box Group. And so there's a nice tradition of Techstars managing directors who go on to launch their own VC funds and build build large, you know, sort of prominent funds and um, and continue to look at Techstars companies and sort of pay it forward and so on. Um, yeah, you get a lot of applications. I think there's a strong history with, with both Techstars and Y Combinator, sort of two leading accelerators in the world, and get a lot of applications. I think the job to, I guess, go back to the sports analogy, you know, so much of your job is, is really easy as a coach if you get great players. And so, like, if you start with great talent, you can kind of mess up a lot and usually things are okay. And, you know, maybe you get some credit for stuff you just because you have great players. So that's sort of the framework I have. Like, let's get great players. So, so we go out and recruit, you know, of the hundreds or sometimes over a thousand applications that we might get for 12 spots. Maybe we only take one or two or three of those. Um, and the rest of the class, we go out and we hunt. And the way that we usually hunt for the best form of introductions I love is founder referrals. Founders have gone through the program or founders that I've invested in uh, through my fund or otherwise that say, hey, you know, these guys are good. They're actually going to help you and, and that kind of thing. And it's worth the dilution because it is dilutive. We, we do take equity to go through it in addition to cash we invest. Um, so that's great. Uh, we have 150 mentors at each accelerator. And so we encourage the mentors to share founders with us that they they uh, think highly of. So we try to turn them into a you know a recruiting network for us. Got about like 750 VCs that we're in touch with, sending deals to them, and that I've been building out that list for 12 years. Uh, and so I like to I tell them, hey, think of me as your farm system. If you have a sports, fitness, media, entertainment company, that's like a little early for you. Maybe you do seed or UA or whatever. Send them to us. I'd love to look at it. You know, we'll get them in great shape. We'll keep you close to them. Maybe you want to lead the round coming out of the program or so on. Um, and, and if it's not in one of those categories, any other category, send it to me for the New York program. And uh, we'll, you know, look at it through that. So um, it, it, I think the, and then we, it's, you know, we have a team, right? So I also have Andrew and Elliot, uh, Andrew uh, Hippard and Elliot Mack on our team. And Elliot's in charge of sourcing. Andrew really runs all the programs, but also is involved with sourcing. And, I, my aspiration is to spend no time doing anything because those guys have it so covered and I can just hang out with founders. And that's my goal. I'm, I'm working toward that. Um, but of course, having a team and then, you know, having people who think highly and are willing to refer, like all the work you do to sort of set that up and you get your machine down and then, you know, hopefully good things come from there. But it all starts with having great founders and a great ecosystem around them. And we can kind of play air traffic controller, just connecting mentors, connecting investors with founders. and that's where you get a lot of magic without you having to spend so much time on it. All right. So this time around for the current class, because you just announced the uh, current class for New York City. 
Uh, and I was looking at the numbers because I'm like, there must be a heavy emphasis of AI companies. And uh, th there's definitely some, but it wasn't like all 12. It was like, I think maybe four had it in their blurb. Um, so how much of that factored into the world of, you know, looking at companies these days? Like you getting pitched, you must have heard AI used all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fucking, yeah, I remember, um, you know, it was mobile and it was marketplaces and blockchain and yeah, AI now, right? So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I think I'm more of a believer in the, in the, the power of um, advanced AI than like, you know, blockchain and crypto and stuff. Not to say that there are obviously strong use cases for blockchain. I never really bought onto crypto thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so yes, like you got to kind of just suss it. Like you want to just do all AI in the hopes that because funds are throwing crazy valuations at these companies right now that maybe get one or two. You know, you, that could be an approach to putting a class together. Um, but it's just a combination. Like that I try to be open to having founders with unique insight and having them be problem oriented rather than solution oriented. So. Like if they obsess over the problem, like how do we get all these kids and coaches to come together? How do we get people to actually spend all their time doing the fun part of fantasy sports, the draft and something else? Like you obsess over the problem you're trying to solve. And then the solution, what tech you use, is it desktop or mobile? What underlying technology is it AI or something else or blockchain or whatever? That's like, to me, a very secondary consideration. And um, generally, if you sort of slap the AI lipstick on it, um, you know that that it's sort of a red flag um feels almost like someone putting like mba in their title or something just to throw it on there unless it's actually core to the every company's going to use ai in some form so great but like unless it's really core to the thing i want to like talk to the founder about the problem and about why they care about the mission of the company and why they have a unique idea to approach to solve it and kind of spend my time there so uh, if people aren't familiar, like most of my audience is familiar with Techstars, so this is probably a stupid question, but what can founders expect out of, you know, going through the program? Yeah, it's just like uh, three months, give or take, we do it extra week. Um, we have 12 companies we bring together. We do a lot for them. We invest $120,000 up front. We also have a follow-on fund where we'll typically invest another 100, 200K in their seed series A round if things are going decently well. Though we don't lead the rounds, but we'll participate. But like, just on the fundraising side, we, we really teach them how to fundraise every week. We have a different theme. Like we, we start with their one-liners, then we go to their blurbs and elevator pitches, and we go through their financial models, and we help them build out a robust investor spreadsheet. We go through their pitch decks, and and then we help them prepare a demo day presentation. And you know, we just go through the, the their data rooms. We go through everything. So it takes a couple months to really make sure they're in good shape to have all their material together. We often write a lot of it and help them structure it, and then practice telling their story, articulating how much they're raising and why and what they're going to do with the money and why the opportunity is exciting not just for them, but for a VC investor person. And that criteria is sometimes different. So that takes a lot of time. And then we also create a sort of a peer CEO group of the 12 CEOs together that hopefully will remain tight for years and help each other. We do a lot to foster that. So we have weekly lunches, weekly dinners, CEO stand up, all hand meeting. We then dramatically increase their network. So we have uh, workshops and founder talks. So we have people like, you know, my great friend, Paul English, co-founder of Kayak, will come and do a dedicated, not recorded 
off the cuff session on the founding of Kayak and his other businesses and lessons learned. It's Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop, who does a founder talk for us. People have built multi billion dollar companies, taking them public. Like they're doing founder talks, workshops in different categories, products, hiring, you know, technical recruiting, financial modeling, like all this sort of stuff. So they learn a lot. We increase their network a lot. We introduce them to it's a mentorship driven accelerator. So the first three weeks of the program after our retreat, we bring in a leadership coach and, and expose them to that kind of work, which they don't have the resources to usually do on their own. Uh, we'll, we'll then do three weeks of mentor madness. We connect them with at least a hundred mentors that are relevant for them. That could be advisors, could be investors, could be just people who could introduce them to other relevant people. Um, so we're going to dramatically increase your network. We're going to coach you up on how to be a CEO, hopefully uh, give you a good, good foundation for it. We're going to make sure you're ready to raise money. And then after the program, we like personally introduce them to each at least 150 VCs uh, when they're ready to raise, when we deem that they're ready to raise. Um, and so, and that that's very hard as a founder to get a warm intro when you're really ready and know what you're doing to investors. That's all just on the fundraising side and sort of, but there's some learning on the workshops, mentor stuff on different categories. And then we're kind of just there for them. So I hope they're on the right to be like the first call or text when a founder gets a, just today we had one of our companies got a, a term sheet, sell the company and yeah, they want to negotiate with me. And like, you know, I'm not on the board, but like, I, I, I love that they, you know, want to include me, reach out. Or last week we had a co-founder breakup and cap table issues and drama and like it's just the highs and the lows and you know being someone that even though i'm an investor in their company that i also we take common shares and we sit mostly in common so we're aligned with the founder and try to be you know supportive for them and because we invest so early we're okay if they want to sell the company for 10 or 15 million dollars or something early on we don't have a conflict that even seed investors and sometimes do and for sure series a b investors do where they like this is their one board they sit on and they're only going to do 10 deals in their life with this fund. And like, you know, they care more about the outcome often than the founder, not because they're bad people, just they have different, you know, different incentive structure. So we, we're very squarely always with the founder, whatever the founder wants to do. And, and that enables us to be really supportive. And um, I love it. You get to say, you know, I do 25 deals a year. So I can say yes a lot. Even though we say no a lot, I get to say yes a lot more than a typical VC. Um, and because the companies are so early, I can, nerd out on strategy and stuff with them often more than later stage. So it suits my nature, I think, and I enjoy it. All right. So I know some of the companies leading up to demo day, they already may have raised capital, but some are still out there trying to you know, raise their, their round of funding. So what advice would you have for that demo day presentation? What are the, some of the best traits that you've seen come out of those uh, sessions? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first we just try to coach the founders to lower their expectations. Like it's not like you're going to do your demo day and people are going to run up and like give you a term sheet. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's a moment to celebrate. I'm in. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's miles. We're not even allowed now with the SEC to publicly solicit. You used to be able to say, I'm raising $3 million. You used to be able to do that on Texas demo day and like announce it. And yeah. you can't now because they're investors in the room and whatever. Uh, so we like, it's a, Fundraising event, but not really. It's sort of to celebrate the progress. It's it's a forcing function to document your story. It's a valuable video asset and deck for you to use when you do more pitches and to send to potential investors in the fundraising. Usually our companies then will kick off a fundraise after demo day. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 five minutes. And 
Um, we actually work with the companies a lot in program on elevator pitches in 15 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes. And they get so much better as they go and be able to articulate their story. And it starts with what we call ABCD. So my company is an A that helps B to do C through D. And it, it sounds simple to say, but to really focus on it and like, what are you really? Are you a company? Are you an app? Are you a platform? Are you a solution? Are you a SaaS thing? Are you like, what do you call yourself? Who are you helping? Is it people? Is it moms? Is it millennials in New York City? Like who, like let's drill down on exactly who it is and what are you helping them do? And then how are you helping them do that? So we'll like start with that and really getting that done and get that done describing to different people. You might articulate what you do different to a client versus an investor. And um, and then if you have 30 seconds versus a minute or two to do your spiel. And then once you articulate the ABCD, then maybe what's the why behind it? What's your mission? Why do you do it? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why are you the right person to do this? Why do you care? Why should I care? And trying to connect. So first help people understand what you are, who you help, what you help them do and how you help them do it. And then why are you doing this? You just ask them, actually take a couple of weeks to really identify that. And sometimes that is um, really illuminating for founders and helps them crystallize their message. And we turn the one, one sentence description and elevator pitch into a blurb, into then a one pager, into then a deck, into then a demo day thing. And we go into the, which is much more sort of story form. So much of being a CEO is being a storyteller and a missionary, like, representing the mission, you know, making sure that the company stays on track to the why you exist and, and then fundraising and hiring and motivating great people. So you have a clear mission. You're able to articulate it. You're able to onboard great people that can execute it and you motivate them and remove obstacles in their way. And then you make sure you raise enough money to keep them employed, to keep going after that mission over a long period of time. And like, that's what you do as a CEO is those three things. And so I think Techstars can, can help set the foundation for you as a CEO to do those three things. We talk about it being a founder, like a program for founders, but it's it's really a CEO coaching, networking, fundraising, support program, really for CEOs. All right. Three apps you can't live without. Oh, uh, three apps. Fantastical, my calendar. I like it. Uh, maybe I could live without it. Um. I love Twitter. Sorry, X, whatever the hell it's called. I just for news. I don't post that much, but I like that. Um, superhuman, superhuman for emails. Email client is like amazing. I think it makes me faster, and I probably only use twenty percent of the functionality. Um, I, I bet I could if I went deeper on superhuman. I bet I, I could save like an extra half an hour a day on email. Yeah. I just live in my inbox. So superhuman is, is great. Worth paying for, I think. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a common one. All right, how about a good podcast or book recommendation? I I love anything. I'm obsessed with investing. So invest like the best. Founder is acquired. I like those podcasts. Um, again, I'll probably go with like for book something related to investing because I, I love biographies. I basically just read anything on biographies and investing. Um, there's a book called Richer, Happier, Wiser by William Green, which sort of just profiles all the best investors and wisdom from them. And I think this appeals to me as a philosophy major in college and the philosophy of investing and the mindset that successful investors have and the way they think about the world and 
conduct their personal lives in addition to how they focus their investments, I think is really interesting. And that book goes goes deep on that and profiling, including Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and a bunch of other hedge funds and private equity investors and real estate investors and so on. But the mindset behind what they do, what they do, why they do it, how they approach how they approach life beyond just investing, I think is super interesting. Outside of work, what do you like to do for fun? Outside of work, uh, I like to hang out with my dog who passed away recently. So I'm on a mission to get a new dog at some point. I got to adopt a new dog. Um, but I'm a big dog guy. Uh, I love to travel. Been to 40 countries. Excited for the next 40. And um, I read. Like I'm a voracious reader. I have a library. I, I read a phys- two physical newspapers every day. I probably read a book a week. Um, I'm just constantly reading. So my happy place is like reading with my dog. Um, and if not that, you know, traveling. I think travel gives you incredible perspective on things. I always come back energized, new ideas. Um, and uh, it just expands your worldview. So I live, I live, I live for those things. I'd say those are my top. I, I go to the gym. I try to prioritize staying in decent shape. Like definitely not by basketball standards anymore, but I think that's important. Do you uh, still play? But uh, not well. Uh, <laughs> but not well. Every every now and then I'll, I'll I'll shoot around. I played in a tournament in Israel actually two years ago with the sort of uh, Maccabi Games. It's called. The, I'm. 37 now so we were in 35 to 44 year old division uh jewish american team we play against other countries this is like the fake olympics if you will um but we won the gold medal and we had fun doing it uh so that was cool uh but uh it also sent me back physically a while (laughs) so yeah i do yoga now hot yoga i'm into that um shout out to fight camp while we're on the fitness thing i'm an investor and advisor in fight camp it's like at home boxing fitness thing that I do and you have the classes and the sensors that track your punches um between ergata and flexia and fight camp I've like it fit and I've just invested a lot of at-home fitness <laughs> so I try to use that stuff um uh, uh yeah but uh yeah working out is a, is a passion cool well Jordan thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background in terms of the companies you've built all the great work you're doing as a managing director of two tech stars programs and obviously all the great advice. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And it's great to see you again, catch up after all these years. So appreciate it.